Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What a jump ball! He's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first one. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, brought to you by Believe Podcast Network. For the second weekend in a row, I get to say that. I almost forgot, but we are part of the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Mike Angolano, and joining me is Aaron Johnson. As always, Aaron, how are you, how are you doing, buddy? Like I'm doing great. The weather is getting Michigan is seeing some sun. We're seeing the fifties. We're seeing even the mid sixties. So, you know, that warm weather, that nice weather, the sun coming out, it's got me feeling good. Uh, I'm ready to talk Pistons. I'm ready to talk all the things that have gone on. We got some interesting quotes. We got some bomb quotes coming from Troy Weaver. We got some videos of uh, and footage of Blake Griffin doing things that we thought this man couldn't do anymore. So I am ready to get into all of it. All right. And yes, the weather is lovely outside. Um, spring is on the way. I believe it's like 60, 65 degrees, 62 degrees here. Um, yes, very exciting times. And we have a lot to talk about. We don't have to do our random mailbag of stuff. Um, so we will get right into it. The big news, of course, uh, this week is that the Pistons have officially bought out Blake Griffin. They were unable to find a trade for Griffin. The Pistons uh, were able to buy him out. Um, he has since joined the Brooklyn Nets. That is official. He cleared waivers in Brooklyn, signed him. He reunites with DeAndre Jordan back from the Los Angeles Clippers days. So uh, we've had a lot of takes, a lot of people wondering or asking, and hey, what is he going to look like on a team like the Brooklyn Nets that really didn't need necessarily a guy like Blake Griffin, an offensive weapon like Blake Griffin, but they got him anyway. So I guess I'll start with you because I have my own sort of two-headed take on this. Um, let's first talk about the fit. Blake Griffin on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, how, how does he fit based on what we were able to see this year? Um, what do you think he can provide that team? I've made it very clear that I still think Blake Griffin can contribute to a winning team. Uh, you know, this season in Detroit, he obviously was still – uh, right alongside Jeremy Grant as the primary option, especially at the beginning of the season. As you know, Grant, we didn't see his full ascent right away. It kind of it took a little bit of time, and, and and Blake was still commanding a lot of touches, a lot of action, and that was definitely too much for him. We saw the wear and tear, we saw the inefficiency, uh, we saw the you know the times lack of uh, you know effort and ability. But Blake is going to be joining a team with two MVPs, an all-star, elite shooting, a great, uh, not a great big man, a once great big man in DeAndre Jordan. I mean, he is joining a team that is already very well equipped that they were going to compete for a title without Blake Griffin, right? I think a lot would say that they were the favorite without Blake Griffin. Um, Blake Griffin only gives them a greater chance, you know, more depth. This is a guy that, and I guess what we'll, we'll, I can kind of bring this up now is we're seeing videos of him from November and, and he's dunking and 
you know, moving well. And it's like, we didn't really see this in the season, but he always said he was healthy. You know, there's the conspiracy theories of, oh, he was, you know, trying to save his legs. And, you know, he wasn't trying because he knew he was going to eventually, you know, be leaving Detroit and getting bought out and things like that, which maybe are true. But, you know, we're seeing him dunking the basketball, looking, you know, completely capable. You know, this is not 2014, 2015 Blake Griffin, but it's it's still a, a Blake Griffin that's athletic enough to throw down and get up. He is going to help a team win basketball games, and he's going to help the Brooklyn Nets. He's a communicator defensively where maybe he is not the best defender. He's not a very good defender whatsoever, but he can communicate. Um, and on offense, he is going to – help rebound on both sides of the floor. He's going to shoot the ball offensively. He's going to bring passing to an offense that has so many guys that can isolate and, and create buckets for themselves. Well, Blake Griffin is going to get the ball in the post. He's going to back down. He's going to draw a double, and he's going to be able to kick out to Kevin Durant or James Harden. Or if teams aren't going to double down, then Blake Griffin will make them pay because Griffin can still score in the post. That is something that he still has the skill set, strength, ability to do. So there is an absolute fit for a guy like Blake Griffin in Brooklyn. Not that they needed the help, but they got the help. And, you know, he fortifies a front court. Like he said, he wanted to go somewhere that, you know, needed a four. And I don't know where Blake Griffin fits in in the sense of is he starting or is he coming off the bench? But they could certainly have used another four man. And Griffin's going to come in, and he's going to have a role right away. You know, uh, a lot of people look at this as, wow, another star, another great star uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. And I don't know what those sorts of people – like Like I saw – I can't remember the odds. Maybe it was Sport Track. Maybe it was um, – it was one of those Vegas uh, betting um, – organizations that gave the Nets now the best chance that this move for Blake Griffin was the defining piece. It was the piece that they needed to push them over the edge, over the Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, you know, the usual suspects. And I got to tell you, I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it unless he, unless that video that, that, that was floating around today is any indication, any, you know, accurate indication of his ability uh, athletically unless that video was, you know, has some truth. I, I don't see it to me. The nets needed defensive help and who's to say that they won't be able to go out and do that. I believe they still have their mid-level to go out and get somebody, you know, to really just add the exclamation point to that roster. They need defensive help. They did not need offensive help. And I've listened to several podcasts with one or two people making this argument for both sides I just don't see what sort of things he can do that drastically pushes this team from really good, you know, otherworldly offensively to even higher up. You know, I think there's diminishing returns and yeah, you know, you got him for a bargain and that's fine, but he seems to have moved over into a tier of where there are games where he's just not going to play because he can't, play in a certain matchup he doesn't have the ability there's going to be times where sure the offense can you know can run through one of the three studs and griffin can kind of pick up the slack if one of them has to sit but i just don't necessarily see the the big gain that people are are throwing on brooklyn now 
he looked horrible with the Pistons. He did not look good. Um, I, I don't know what he can give them that pushes them over the edge is, is my long winded answer. All of this. I think, I guess if you have a million bucks and that's all it's going to cost and Blake Griffin wants to be on your team, then you go ahead and do it and you just kind of see what happens. I get that thinking, but there's just diminishing returns as you keep adding star players and namely star offensive players. As you keep adding star offensive players, there's going to be diminishing returns to each, you know, next player you add. I mean, the offense wasn't the issue. They had a good offense. They had elite shooting. Like you said, they had it had and have elite isolation scoring with just a bizarre offensive freak like Kevin Durant that, you know, just has this insane height and ability to make shots. And then two of the best isolation scores in the league. And one of which might be the best isolation score we've ever seen. So what does Blake Griffin actually add? Maybe some passing, like you said, maybe some post, maybe a little bit of post game. I just but see I, opportunity cost in, in, in bringing him in. And I, I'm not of the, the mindset that Blake Griffin elevates Brooklyn to a title contender. They were a title contender with or without Blake Griffin. You know, they, when you have James Harden and Kevin Durant on the same team and you have a guy like Kyrie Irving and you have Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan and Bruce Brown, like you have all these other, you know, counterparts to fit along three all-stars, two guys that have won MVP awards. Like there was nothing you were going to add that was going to elevate you. Like you already are the upper echelon of the league, right? I just think, and I, and I look at Blake Griffin and I think, well, he still has some value in some of the things that he can still do. He doesn't cost you a lot of money. You're not bringing him in and saying, look, you're going to start, you know, you're going to come in immediately start the power forward style, play 35 minutes a night, have a huge role. Like I, I think the writing is kind of on the wall that his role is going to be a lot smaller. I mean, there, there just isn't that much basketball to go around when you have trio of Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant all healthy and active. Now, you know, maybe there's nights where it gives Brooklyn a little bit more flexibility now to say, hey, you know, in the regular season, we can throw Blake out there and rest, you know, Kevin or, or James or, or one of those guys and still have, you know, a, a capable offensive piece that can help run the offense or lead the offense uh, on a nightly basis. But this is not a guy that is coming in and, and he doesn't change the landscape of the league or anything like that. This is very much just kind of the rich getting richer and, and to the point where they don't need it, but they had the opportunity. The cost was so low. That's why they did it. Yeah. And it cost them, it cost them basically nothing. And like I said, I, I totally get that. I just think that there would have been other players to use those roster spots on. I mean, I guess, like I said, I guess it comes back to you have a million bucks. You have a roster spot. Blake Griffin wants to be on your team. He's not terribly far removed from doing pretty useful things. Some of them elite, but he doesn't really improve your rebounding and he doesn't really improve your defense. I think those were the two areas that Brooklyn needed to improve on. And Nick Claxton's been playing well. So that kind of, you know, that gives you a little bit of, of, um, positivity from the inside there's a belief that they're going to sign Andre Drummond once he's bought out from Cleveland that'll 
that'll help a lot too. But I, I guess they could have seen what was on the buyout market a little bit longer. You know, if he was so bent on Brooklyn, then they, you know, they may not have had any choice. I, I guess I just question the fit. That's all. Um, I'm sure he's going to, you know, excite some people. And like I said, this is all a moot point. If he comes out and shows the athleticism, we know he has and shows the ability to, you know, shoot a little bit from deep and give Brooklyn yet another big offensive weapon. So I guess we'll just have to see what he, what he looks like. If Blake Griffin comes out and starts dunking, there's going to be a lot of very, very emotionally distressed people in Detroit. There's going to be a lot of them because I've already seen the Twitter explosion uh, to the video that was posted today. Right. Dunking the basketball back in November. If he comes out and he starts doing that, you're going to hear, you're going to, you're not going to want to be on Twitter with all the, the emotional, you know, distress that's going to be on display. It's going to be dark times on Pistons Twitter. So, so let's go ahead and say that he does have some of that athleticism in the back. He's dunking a little bit more, maybe not, high flying like like he was because I, I i truly don't think that's possible with the knee injuries that that he's had i mean maybe a little bit of dunking but he's he's not going to have that insane athleticism he had before um let's just say he is you know 70 percent of that he's showing a lot more than he did with the pistons i think there are still positive you could take away from him not being on the roster and being on a, a different roster Letting your young guys play would be the first thing. And I and I had mentioned this on Twitter. The, the guy who benefits a lot right now is Sekou Duboya because this allows Jeremy Grant to play the four exclusively. This allows Sekou to play more. Um, Dwayne Casey had said, um, I think it was a few, maybe it was a week or so ago, maybe it's even longer than that, that Sekou would have benefited a lot from the G League to get more reps, to get more time. Well, here is your time. And yeah, you know, you paid a lot to get Blake Griffin off of your roster. And yes, it's going to sting to see him play well on an, another team, but there are positives to take away from this, right? I think, I think the biggest thing was getting opportunity and opening up minutes for your young guys like Seku. We just saw Troy Weaver at his, you know, midseason press conference say, Hey, there's a, there is a lineup that features Isaiah Stewart and Mason Plumley on the floor together. You know, that makes Isaiah Stewart the four, right? So it, it's, it, it opens up minutes. And one other thing I want to say very quickly here on Blake Griffin was I'm very, very uh, happy with the decision to take the money, take the hit, and not stretch Blake Griffin's contract. Take the financial hit now when you don't need the money because you're not competing and, and you don't have a bunch of contracts to extend or free agents to sign. Like That is a decision that, I'm not sure previous front office regimes would have made here in Detroit. So very, very thankful that Troy Weaver was recognizing of that and, and, and made the ultimately the right call because Detroit isn't competing this year or next year. They don't need money to spend this year or next year. So very glad that they just took the, the big hits that they are and, and instead of stretching it, but, um, no, I mean, it, it, the biggest reason why you moved on from Blake Griffin was the minutes that it opened up. You know, that was – I mean, you look at this roster and it is, it, it's just what was necessary. There was, there was always going to be something standing in Sekou Dumboya's way 
with Blake Griffin in the fold and Jeremy Grant playing the four. And to be honest, you know, there still is obstacles for these young guys to have to, to get through and a guy like Jeremy Grant. And when you see a guy like Saquon Boya, they're starting Sadiq Bay at the four when Jeremy Grant's not playing. So Sekou's still coming off the bench. So, you know, it shows just how much depth, just how many guys that they want to give big minutes to. This, uh, you know, removal of Blake Griffin was all about finding an extra 25 to 30 minutes that you can spread out with different players. Right. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of angry people. You know, he, he makes, you know, he catches one lot from Kyrie Irving. That's all it's going to take for everybody to, to be, you know, rightfully so, uh, you know, annoyed at Blake Griffin. And I get it. I get it. I promise. But seeing what these young guys have does open up some possibilities. It opens up some possibilities. And, and you know, that's, that's a step that, you know, a lot of teams in a rebuild don't get to really look at until the second or third year of the rebuild. The first year of the rebuild is a lot of, Oh my gosh, what are we, what are we going to put together? You know, what, you know, what can we salvage from the previous regime? And then what sort of things can we get for the old vets of the previous regime? And the Pistons are ahead of the game. A lot of the vets that you would have expected to still be on the roster, maybe are gone. You know, Derek Rose is gone. Blake Griffin's gone. You traded Andre Drummond last year and now you have a lot of young guys. You have a lot more young guys. I think they're kind of, you know, moving through to the, okay, what do we have step pretty quickly? Cause they drafted so many young guys and they do have guys like Saban Lee who are playing really well that they didn't maybe expect to, you know, play well this early or Sadiq Bay is turned into a, a really nice prospect. And Isaiah Stewart has turned into a really nice prospect. So there's just a lot of stuff that they maybe weren't, you know, weren't thinking they, they would have to evaluate until later on that they can do it now and see what they have. And you had mentioned Mason Plumley. I think this is a good time to move into our next topic, unless you have any, any other thoughts on Blake Griffin. And I know we had our eulogy podcast a while back, but anything else on Blake Griffin joining the Brooklyn Nets? No, I think we hit on it all right there. Um, I mean, it's yeah. When he catches a lot from Kyrie or James Harden, like, expect the world to to collapse like that's all i'm going to say well i can't speak for anybody else on pistons twitter because i know they don't feel the same way but um best of best of luck to blake griffin he's been dealt a rough injury hand a lot of those clippers teams should have been good enough they they also collapsed um hopefully this will be the uh hopefully this will be the uh the year or at least the team where he can advance a little bit farther, perhaps to a conference finals and, and maybe the NBA finals. So let's touch on um, some more trade talk. The Pistons were shockingly uh, front and center in, in a, uh, a piece from the athletic from Sham Strani of the athletic, the Boston Celtics have shown interest in forward Jeremy Grant. Um, Wayne Ellington, DeLon Wright, Mason Plumlee have received some legitimate interest um, according to James Edwards of The Athletic as well. And in the most unlikely scenario, teams have also shown some interest in Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, although it really doesn't seem like, and I would be really shocked if either of those two or Grant uh, were moved. So uh, the Pistons have a lot of pieces that other teams want. And again, this is a, this is a good thing. 
in a rebuild. Um, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel teams or the teams that are in the first year of, of a rebuild typically don't have anything, or maybe they have one thing that, that other teams want, but the Pistons have quite a bit. So let's break this down a little bit uh, further. Let's go with the absolute most obvious one. Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart teams had interest in them. Uh, the Pistons aren't trading either of those guys. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I, I think Sadiq Bay. I think Troy Weaver said that said it best in uh, his press conference. Nobody's untouchable, but there's some guys here that are here to stay. And I think Sadiq Bay is absolutely one of those guys. I think Isaiah Stewart, just because of the nature of the position that he plays, you know, could it, or I guess in this case would you know be easier to move rather than a guy like Sadiq Bay who really looks like he's your your future at the small forward spot. But there's just not really uh, a a realm in which either of these guys get moved considering how important they are to this rebuild. And I mean, it would take something of true significance uh, and, and positive impact to where Weaver would have to pull the trigger on a move for either of those guys. You know, I think when you look at Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, really any rookie from this class, I, I don't think any of them are really uh, under any chance of being moved this season. I think they're all relatively safe because they've all kind of kind of have their own importance to this uh, rebuild moving forward. Uh, so I'm not surprised that teams are interested in the Pistons two most productive rookies and two of their most productive players overall. Like it doesn't shock me, but there's just no reason for Detroit to even consider trading them unless they're getting some sort of asset or assets in, in return that, are really, really worthwhile. Uh, also, the Pistons passed, I, I believe, passed on both those players. They definitely passed on Sadiq Bay. I'm not sure if they passed on Isaiah Stewart. Both players that they could really use right now. Um, Sadiq Bay pretty much fits exactly what they need. And it is a little bit funny to see uh, Boston Celtics Twitter go nuts at drafting Aaron, Nes uh, Aaron Naismith over Sadiq Bay uh, because he does provide that shooting that that team desperately needs. He provides some wing help that that team desperately, desperately needs right now. So I find it, a, you know, a little bit, a little bit humorous, um, but those guys aren't going anywhere. It, it just doesn't make sense to move a, a rookie. It doesn't make sense to move a positive impact rookie, which is already rare in and of itself. You know, most rookies come into the league and they don't provide a positive impact. They're learning. Maybe they, do a couple of nice things, but for the most part, rookies don't come in and change the whole world, uh, let alone non-lottery picks. So I find that very unlikely. Let's go on to the second most unlikely, and that is moving Jeremy Grant. The Boston Celtics have shown interest in Jeremy Grant, uh, again, according to Sean Sharania of The Athletic. I think there is a little bit more split discussion regarding moving Jeremy Grant because he is having such a historically for his standards great season that it would be perhaps foolish to not gauge the market and see what other teams will be willing to give up um, Grant would again as I said earlier about Boston not having a wing Grant would fit the Celtics very well he would provide exactly what they need uh, at the four or at the three, if you want to put Jason Tatum at the four, but you probably put 
grant the force since that's his natural position or best fitting position. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about moving Jeremy Grant in general? Then we'll talk about the Celtics fit. To be honest, I'm not opposed to moving Jeremy Grant. He has had a phenomenal. That is not what I thought you were going to say, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not opposed to moving him. I, I think he's had a phenomenal season. His value is incredibly high. Detroit could probably get back a pretty valuable return of assets, but at the same time, you know, it would again, it would have to be for a very nice package kind of along the same lines of a Sadiq Bear, Isaiah Stewart. Like a team probably needs to overpay to get Jeremy Grant at this point. Um, I, I just, I, I do very much like Jeremy Grant. I think he brings a lot to the table for Detroit. He's obviously had a phenomenal season, but he's also 26 years old. The rest of your core is around 20. So there's a bit of an age gap to where, you know, Grant probably isn't, a top player on the best iteration of this Detroit Piston team, you know, which is probably three to four seasons away. He could still be a, an impact player, but he's probably no longer the best player. He might not even be the second best. So I, I think at $20 million, there's two, two more years left on his deal. If you're able to get legitimate value for it, I would be comfortable pulling the trigger on trading Jeremy Grant. But again, it would have to be at an overpay level from another team. Like, don't get it twisted that I'm, you know, trying to push him out the door. You know, I don't like him. I don't see his value. Like he's very much proved me wrong. I talked about all ever since they signed him, you know, in the off season, my whole thing was right away. was they just overpaid for this guy. You know, he did not play well enough in Denver to earn this type of money. What kind of role did they foresee for him? And he shut me up, made me look really stupid. He has played phenomenal basketball. He was damn near an all-star deservedly so so you know he has a lot of value and it would have to take an overpay of a deal for me to be comfortable moving jeremy grant but i am open to the idea of doing so whereas you know i, I know there are some people that would consider him too important or untouchable uh for the pistons i sort of agree with you that there shouldn't be any untouchable prospect uh, because everybody has a value you know we've we sort of but I had, we sort of had this discussion in a couple of the, the chats I'm in about the Cavs and the Cavs really don't have anybody who's untouchable. They might have, you know, four or five guys that they are unwilling to move. But at the end of the day, everybody has a value to them. It's just very few teams will present you with that value and make you think about if you want to move them. And I think that should go for Grant. But I certainly understand the, the idea of wanting to get something for him because he is playing his best basketball of his career, you're essentially cashing out at the top. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, and this is something that I, I'm not sure how many people have taken into account for those that want to move Grant or think it's a good idea. It's just, he wanted to come here. He wanted to play for Dwayne Casey. He wanted to play for Troy Weaver. Those are two important things to him. And, and those are, those are very unique qualities in bringing a guy here. He wanted to play for a black coach and a black GM in a black city. And, and James Edwards of the athletic wrote a very, very good piece about that, about why Jeremy Grant wanted to come here. And I think that that matters a great deal. Um, that looks good for other potential free agents as well. 
having that sentiment. And when you ship them out for good value, and I don't think there's any team that would be able to put up the value or be willing to put up the value for him. It just looks good for potential free agents to come in when you have a guy who wanted to be here and you keep him here uh, because he is beneficial. He is beneficial to have on this team. I, I really do believe that. And I don't think a team can pony up what the Pistons would want. Definitely not Boston. We had this discussion in the Palace of Pistons group chat. Aaron, there is no package of players that the Celtics would reasonably give up for Jeremy Grant. No, it just doesn't exist. What are you what are you getting back from Boston outside of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum that equates in value, right? And, and Danny Ainge, rightfully so, isn't giving up either of Brown or Tatum. So there just really isn't a trade that that works out in that regard. You don't have interest in Kemba Walker. You don't have interest. I mean, you might have interest in a guy like Marcus Smart, but that's not an equal value trade. So there's just really no deal that that works out unless Boston is throwing Detroit, you know, multiple first round picks and, 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 you know, prospects and that kind of a deal. And even then, you know, Detroit has to figure, Hey, this is, you know, end of the first round level picks. If Boston's able to go and get Jeremy Grant and they have, you know, Grant and Tatum and Brown, and maybe with those three and Kemba, they decide, well, let's go all in and let's go get Drummond off the bio market. That's going to be a really good team. Those first round picks get a lot less valuable. So I, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And, and there just really isn't an asset collection that Boston has that they're willing to move to get Grant. Yeah, you probably have to throw Tristan Thompson in there for salary purposes. And Marcus Smart, like like you mentioned, there will have to be some some draft picks being being moved. But you know, Boston's in that unique position of what the heck do we do? They're like fairly average. They have some, a couple of good wins. They're obviously not an average team, but they're playing average. On paper, they should be better than they are. And getting Marcus Smart back will solve a lot of their problems. And getting Jeremy Grant would, you know, would solve a lot of their problems too. But I just don't see a move that's being made. I mean, Grant Williams, I don't really know if the, if the Pistons have interest in Grant Williams. We talked about not trading rookies too quickly, but Aaron Naismith. I mean, I don't, I don't really think the Pistons have any interest in that. They're content with where they are, and I don't really think Boston put together a trade that makes Detroit think about moving on from Grant, especially with how well he has played. Right. Which brings us to the three guys who I think will be moved. Uh, I think at, at least one of them is going to be moved. And that's Wayne Ellington, DeLon Wright, and Mason Plumley. They have received the most legitimate interest from teams, according to The Athletic. We've talked about them a lot as the three most likely trade candidates. Wayne Ellington was basically signed to this team to be traded. DeLon Wright, I don't really think was brought to this team to be traded, but he's putting up some pretty good numbers. Uh, that was until he got hurt. And Mason Plumley continues to be a triple-double machine uh, against all odds. And he could be moved as well, uh, even though he's in the first year of his contract with the team. So these guys, Ellington, Wright, and Plumley, which of these do you think is most likely to be traded by the deadline? It's definitely Wayne Ellington. I mean, this you, you literally said it. Wayne Ellington was signed to be traded. As soon as they, you know, it came out that the Pistons were grabbing Wayne Ellington, everyone was saying, well, hopefully this is a contract that, 
you know, in, in March or whatever is going to be movable for Detroit. You know, this is going to be a, a sign and then sell for an asset. So that's definitely the guy that I would consider to be the most likely to be traded in for all the right reasons. He's had a productive year. He's shooting the basketball really well. He's scoring in double digit figures. Like he deserves to, and has played well enough to get traded to a good team and has that value to where Detroit should be able to get an asset back for him. Yep. I think it would have to be Wayne Ellington. He would probably cost the least. He is an expiring. He is a three point shooter and every playoff team needs shooting. As we've said multiple times on this podcast, if you think you have enough shooting, you don't have enough shooting, so go get some more shooting. Makes a lot of sense for a lot of different teams. Um, yes, I, if I had to pick one player to for sure get traded, I would say it's Wayne Ellington. Do you think either Wright or Plumlee is going to get traded this off or this um, this March here before the deadline? I, I think that Mason Plumlee, the way that the Pistons talk about him, it, it definitely seems like he has – Uh, a home here for the foreseeable future they seem to really really like him and he has had a very productive season and and they must like the way that he kind of gels and helps uh, you know go along with these guys that are developing and how he fits with them I think Delon Wright's a guy that Dwayne Casey obviously very very much likes and would probably hurt to lose but I can see the value in trading either of them I think Wayne Ellington is is kind of the lock and I'm almost starting to get to the point where I would be not shocked, but it would definitely be a little bit more surprising at this point if Detroit moved either of Wright or Plumlee. I think Ellington is the guy that's going to be the the one that's dealt. And that's one of the reasons why this trade deadline is so interesting. Is And we've talked about this before is it is a seller's market. It's a seller's market because there's a lot of teams that, think they can compete and make the play-in tournament, which a lot of teams want to do. I mean, I was listening to the Hoop Collective earlier. There's a lot of teams that want to make the playoffs. They want to get into the play-in tournament. So that many teams competing for the play-in and the, a very few amount of teams that are just going to say, yeah, that really isn't of a concern to us. We're not going to care. We're just going to sell off our assets and, you know, try to compete when the league hopefully goes back to a, you know, a regular, a regular calendar next year that creates um, a lot of pressure for those teams to make moves. It also widens the pool of teams looking for more players. And we talked about this last podcast and that puts the Pistons in a nice position. So I, I agree. I don't think anybody, but Ellington is going to get moved because DeLon Wright is kind of necessary, especially with Killian Hayes coming back from injury, um, which we can get to uh, if, you know, if we want to sort of somewhat big news. Um, I think he could be moved. I find it unlikely that Mason Plumlee will be moved because as you guys, or rather, as you had said, um, he's, he seems like he has a, a, you know, a role on this team. Um, it seems like he's going to stick around and I don't have any problem with that either. I would be interested to see what Delon Wright's value is once he comes back from injury, because he could provide some nice, some nice play for, for several playoff teams, namely, I think Philadelphia, I think Philadelphia was a team that was interested in him uh, from that first initial report. 
So I agree. I think only Ellington will be moved, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the other two was moved just based on how many teams are competing and some team that wants to scrap their way into the play in tournament may say, yeah, you know, you know, we have some cap space, the free agent pool next year's doesn't really look that enticing to us. Yeah. We'll go ahead and swing for a, you know, a DeLon Wright, a, you know, a lower end uh, guard and we can bring him in and see what he can do. So I, I would not be surprised by that. So that's sort of our wrap up for the Pistons trade, uh, the trade market churning a little bit slowly. Griffin's move was the big move and we'll get another buyout candidate or, you know, or one or two. Um, is there anything else for trade interest, trade market stuff that you wanted to touch on with the Pistons? I think, I think there'll be moves with Detroit at the deadline. I, obviously I think Ellington is gone. I think Wright is a guy that could be moved, but it, it, it looks like it might be in, and even some of the reports are saying it might be a, a quieter deadline for Detroit rather than, maybe what people were expecting. I, I definitely think they have one move in them. I'm not sure if they have multiple. I, I kind of got that feeling too of like, um, yeah, the trade deadline has a lot of reasons to be hectic, which likely means that it's not going to be hectic and we're all going to be disappointed. That's that's just sort of the feeling. And, and that's not just from a, a, a Pistons perspective. That's from a general team teams across the league perspective is it just doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of movement, even though they're easily, easily could be. So let's go on to uh, something that was a little bit more late breaking before we got onto the pod. And I know we have one more topic, but I wanted to squeeze this in here beforehand. And that's about Killian Hayes and Killian Hayes is progressing well from his hip injury. And we could be getting some information about him coming back to the team. Um, the expectation is that we'll get an announcement next week, which would be the eight-week mark since his injury, which was a non-contact play. Um, he is only 19 years old. So, and by the way, if in case anybody didn't know this, the Pistons are terrible. Um, so, you know, maybe there's not too, too much of an incentive to rush him back, even if we do get an update that's positive next week. Pistons rookie Killing Hayes progressing well from a hip injury. So, Aaron, we talk about young guys. We talk about young guys getting a lot of playing time. We talk about Sekou Dumboya getting play time now that Blake Griffin is gone and frees up um, the three and the four a little bit more. What do we um, expect next week's uh, announcement to be about with Killing Hayes? Do we think he's going to come back? Do you think it's going to be, a, yep, he's doing well, but we're going to keep him out the rest of the year because we're, you know, 18 games under 500 or whatever, and there really isn't any need to. It, it, it really sounds like Hayes is going to be back relatively soon. Uh, Troy Weaver at his midseason press conference was talking about how well he's come along and how excited they are to have him rejoin the team. I would imagine that, you know, he's been, he was traveling with the team on the road, I believe. Uh, prior to the All-Star break, like he just started, you know, traveling with them. He was at the home games, and then we started seeing him at the away games, if I recall correctly. So, you know, it sounds like he's ready to get back out on the court and, and playing games again. And If that's the case, the more that I have thought about it, I, I really think Detroit needs to take a, a rather slow approach with this. 
kind of along the lines of when Reggie Jackson was coming back from from his injuries as they usually played him in about four four minutes a quarter, 16 minutes a game right when he came back. I think that's kind of the approach that they should take with Hayes off the bat. Bring him back very slowly. Allow him to get his feet wet. I get it. It's kind of tough because there's not a ton of season left, so you want to get him in as much as you can. But I think it when he is able to return, it needs to be in, in, at a very slow level to begin with and then let him work his way back up to where, you know, maybe he ends up closing the season as your starting point guard or, or playing more minutes. But I think when he comes back, you know, at least for that first, you know, week or two, you need to only be playing him 16 to, to you know, 20 minutes a game tops. Yeah, it, t- it definitely looks like he's coming back. And there is a piece up on The Athletic from James Edwards, and he mentions that during this off time, that Killian Hayes has worked a lot on his jump shot and has even tweaked his mechanics a little bit, um, which is a little interesting. Uh, he was pretty slow out of the gate, uh, needless to say. He played seven games. He averaged four, well, 4.6 points, 3.6 assists. He shot 28% from the floor in those seven games. So, but it's only seven games. It is interesting. He tweaked his jump shot a little bit, which, you know, not a bad thing. He's, he is only 19 adjusting to the NBA from playing overseas, but it certainly seems like he's going to play again this year, which that should give Pistons fans a reason to tune in to at least look at what this young team is. I mean, this could be the youngest lineup on the floor. It might not even be a maybe. It might be an absolutely definitely because even when you were talking about earlier that Grant is 26 and doesn't fit the timeline, that's insane to even think about that 26 is too old. I mean, the Pistons will be good and he might be 28 or 9, which is still not that old. But you're right. He is off the timeline by like five years at 26 years old, which is pretty crazy. So the Pistons could dump out a team or a lineup rather with – the absolute youngest roster, um, which I think is fun. I mean, I don't know what you think. It, sound, it sounds like a lot of fun to me and definitely a reason to tune in. Yeah, I think getting Killian back, and, and I think when you look at this team, and they're very young. Like, it's important to get all these different young guys into the fold and, and getting them minutes and, and allowing them to develop and grow together. And you know, I find it interesting that Killian, you know, the thing you talked about in, in the report that he had adjusted his jump shot and the mechanics of it while he was out. I think that that's an interesting thing. I, 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 I don't know. I always thought his jump shot mechanics were a little wonky, but they looked like they could have worked. So I'm interested to see what he really changed to it. Uh, but I, I still think he provides a lot of promise for Detroit. Again, I am very, very high on him. I think he is their starting point guard of the future, but it gets a little bit dicier with the way that Saban Lee and and, Del- and Dennis Smith Jr. have come along and how well that they have played. So, I think that's a, a subtle, subtle storyline uh, moving forward for Detroit. Is that point guard spot getting a little bit, uh, you know, feistier in terms of competition? You know, I I didn't even talk about Dennis Smith Jr. and in my discussion of maybe moving Delon Wright. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think Dennis Smith Jr. might might push the envelope on that and make the Pistons think, yeah, you know, he's playing well enough. He's young enough. He, you know, we're taking a flyer on him that maybe we could move on from DeLon Wright. 
Um, so I totally forgot about Dennis Smith, but yeah, I, 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 I think you're right about Killian there as well. Um, and I'm looking at a shot chart here and it, you know, it, it looks just about how you would want it to be. The mid range is, is nice and empty. Lots of three point attempts and the paint uh, certainly as most point guards do. It has a lot of, a lot of shot attempts there. The bulk of them come in, inside the paint. I just, when I watched him play, the game was only seven games is that he wasn't exactly making uh, the correct read, even though I, I, I think he thought it was the right read. I think some of those passing lanes that he's used to having sort of closed up a little bit sooner. And I think once he got into the paint, it was a little bit more difficult for him to figure out what to do after he did shake his defender. You know, he got into the paint and, and then what? And part of that was personnel. Um, Saban Lee and Sadiq Bey were not, you know, were not the flamethrowers that they are now. So it was a little bit different then. But I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how Hayes can play once he does break down his defender a little bit, or at least breaks down the offense just a little bit, what, what he's able to do after that, if he's going to be forcing jumpers, if he's going to be forcing shots in the paint, or if he's going to be looking towards his teammates a little bit more. Um, because I, that, that's something that young point guards are just going to, they're just going to have problems with is making the right read. Like we've said before, it's like being a quarterback, rookie, rookie quarterbacks, are going to make mistakes. They're going to make the wrong read. They're, you know, they're going to overlook guys. It's just going to happen. So I'm interested to see what he looks like uh, in the hopefully few minutes he plays per game as they ramp him up a little bit. So let's go ahead and move on to our last topic, which is the second half of the season. Uh, Aaron, what are some things you're looking for from the Pistons in general or from a specific player in the second half of the season? Um, I think, this is kind of leading off of the last thing that I, you and I mainly talked about with the point guard spot. I am very interested to see how the point guard position shakes out for Detroit throughout the second half of the season. Killian Hayes is due back. Delon Wright is still on the roster. So he's a factor. And then you have Saban Lee and you have Dennis Smith Jr. Two guys that have played very well in those two guards absences and have earned their keep on this roster. So I'm very interested to see how Dwayne Casey manages that. Does he try out a two point guard system, you know, where Killian Hayes and, uh, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. or some, you know, combination are sharing the floor at the same time. I'm very, very intrigued to see that. I think it is something that it's something that Detroit should look at because they don't really have a long-term two guard on the roster right now to where they would be taking minutes away from someone. Again, I think she is a good player. I don't think he is the future starting shooting guard of the Detroit Pistons. So I think there's opportunities to try out some of that stuff. And it's really just about learning more about these young guys, continuing to see them develop, seeing how Killian Hayes looks, easing him back into it, letting him figure it out uh, to end the season, giving him that opportunity, which I think is so great that he has recovered well and is able to return because he gets to get back out on the court just to get that last little bit of, you know, playing time in before his first NBA offseason. I think that will be a, a great thing for him. So I'm very interested to see how the point guard play and really the, the, the young guy development goes for the Pistons. Do we see that, that hinted at pairing of Isaiah Stewart and Mason Plumlee? 
I think the Pistons are bad enough to where I am very, very intrigued, and I want to see how that looks. So I think we could see some different lineup combinations. That's something that, that very much intrigues me and, and something that I'm looking forward to in the second half of the season. I think we sort of touched on some of the things that – we're both looking forward to, we touched on point card quite a bit, but something that we touched on a little earlier that I'm interested in is the growth of Sekou Dumboya. You've seen a lot of the rookies, in fact, all the rookies on this team, aside from Hayes, come into their spots, play well. Um, and I want to see Sekou do the same thing. I want to see him now with the minutes available, the space available, now with Griffin gone. I, I want to see something from him that makes me think, oh, okay, skill X, that's something the Pistons didn't have before. They didn't show it before. Here's how it can be useful on this team. And I, I, I mean, they have so much time with him. And, you know, Troy Weaver said that Seiku's got a clean slate after last year. He's got a clean slate because Weaver was not here last year. And he's got the play time now and he's got the, obviously all the tools, the intangibles um, to be very good and, and, and fit what Detroit needs on the wing. You know, we've talked about some of the things that they need in the draft that they should probably draft a shooting guard. They could also, pay, you know, potentially look at a center, but Seku's got the pieces um, and the intangibles to, to provide interior and perimeter defense and shoot and just be, I don't want to say Giannis light because that's not possible, honestly, but you know, somewhere along that where he is really lanky, he has a very wide wingspan and, and just, just because of that and some, some semblance of awareness, he's able to just cause chaos. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what he can do hopefully with more minutes because this was our gripe. Uh, you know, two months ago is that he wasn't getting enough playing time. They were wondering what is up with Seku. Well, you know, that's not, that's not a problem anymore because Blake Griffin's gone and it's next man up. And then next man is Seku Dumboya. And I want to see what happens at the trading deadline, not just with what Detroit does, but if it is going to be really, um, you know, hectic, because while there are a lot of teams that want to make the playoffs, there is quite a bit of parity in the league right now too between the Clippers and the Bucks and the Nets and the defending champion Lakers and the Suns are really good. And Utah is insanely good. I mean, there's a lot of parody happening right now. A lot of teams think that they could win the championship, which is a nice refresh from the Cavs and Warriors being, you know, that much better than everybody else in their respective conferences. This is nice and refreshing, but you know, Troy Weaver is a guy that wants to get involved in stuff. If he could, if he could squeeze out a player from a desperate team as, as a third team, you know, I think he's going to do it or at least look at it. And, and they have some pieces that they can move around. Um, they're going to have the salary cap space uh, to, you know, to take on more long-term. So I'm, I'm interested to see what Troy Weaver um, is able to do at, at the deadline, because as we saw during the draft, he just kind of is always lurking and waiting for that next move to better the team. Yeah, Troy is Troy is always like it just seems like there's always something possible that like at any moment he's gonna strike and he's gonna make some type of move that's gonna throw everyone off. So you know, we'll see what, what happens with the deadline. I, I, I did like that you you brought up Seku. I think he had a couple nice games to end off the the first half of the season. Just some some nice plays here and there. 
if he puts it together, I, I, he still has so much potential. And I have really kind of cooled off on how excited I was about him moving forward. But at the same time, there's just so much that he has intangible-wise to like and to feel hope for that you got to think that he's going to become a player. But uh, it's, again, the second half of the season, we'll, we'll really be able to see is he is he gonna be something? I mean, we we should we should start really start to know by 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 the end of the season. Yeah, and like I said, the Pistons are in a nice spot where they can see what you know what they have. They're they're not uh, they're not trying to clear the deck anymore. They did that with moving on from Griffin and moving on from Rose and trading Drummond last year. You know, they have already cleared the deck. Now you can evaluate the young guys see where they're at, see what they're able to provide, and then make your adjustments from there. So, um, Aaron, that completes our topics. I think this was a little bit longer of a pod, but we, but we had some, some of that late-breaking news with Killian Hayes. Um, Aaron, any, any good quotes, perhaps? Perhaps from Troy Weaver? Yeah, I think this is how we should Maybe. end. I think, I think, there's, I think so, too. Troy Weaver is putting together – a full list of outstanding, outstanding quotes in here that are just, I mean, this is him just, he, he drops bars left and right. So here's, here's his best quote from the, the midseason press conference. <clears throat> the Minnesota Timberwolves can't restore. The Atlanta Hawks can't restore. They don't have three championships. Detroit can restore. I mean, that is just an absolute bar by Troy Weaver. There, there is a non-zero chance that that is the best quote ever said by the GM. And, and I think, I think like, the top three are, like, all from Troy Weaver. So, like, this guy just continues to, to come out with pipe bombs left and right. Like, he is the perfect general manager for Detroit. Just in, in, in what – how confident and, and how, you know, emphatic he is about his beliefs. Like, it's awesome. It is really nice to see, and I'm not going to say he's right, but I don't know what uh, you know Atlanta or Minnesota did to just catch a few strays from Troy Weaver, but uh, he certainly is a man with a plan, and he's got a vision. Uh, maybe that vision is more trades, but I think that vision really is just to rebuild Detroit basketball to what we know it is, which is uh, hard grit and grind type of type of characteristics and restoring <laughs> the whole restoring bit is just hilarious. Um, yes, they do have three championships and restore and rebuild. Um, you know, there it's, it's good context. It, it's like, it's like when Ty Lue took over uh, a terrible Cavs team after LeBron left and was like, yeah, this would be about, wins and lessons not wins and losses you know just swap out rebuild for retool and then swap out losses for lessons and that's how this is going to be so i i always like the uh you know the fortune cookie uh metaphors there um that is a great quote and pretty apt uh retooling retooling not rebuilding so uh, Aaron, any, anything else as, as we hurdle into the uh second half of the season did you watch any of the all-star game I did. I watched, I probably watched like half of it. It just wasn't all that exciting to me. Uh, the dunk contest was obscenely boring. I, I think the most enjoyable moment was maybe the three point contest. 
uh, other than that, I mean, it was just pretty boring in general. I know tough circumstances, no doubt, um, but pretty underwhelming, I would say. Yeah, I would say it was underwhelming as well. And and I'll be, I'll be honest, I did not watch a whole lot of it. I saw Steph Curry catch a pass from LeBron and drill a, a very deep three from nearly the – it was definitely deep into the, into the logo at half court. At the and I thought, okay. Yeah, and the Dame did as well. <laughs> and it's super high scoring. And I mean, maybe it's just age, but a lot of that just doesn't hold my interest anymore. It's the same thing with baseball. Like, I don't – like the home run derby is just – just not interesting at all but we will have the all-star game in cleveland next year so that will be fun maybe we'll even have fans there never it's good cleveland put on the best all-star i can hear it already i fast forward (laughs) down the line we're going to be talking it's not going to be a piston edition it's going to be an all-star edition just talking about how great of an all-star weekend cleveland put on so i I can already hear it you know a lot of baseball writers were very happy with the all-star game that was put on at progressive fields here. So hopefully the Cavs are taking some notes from the Cleveland baseball team to discuss how to make a good all-star game. The Cavs haven't hosted since 1997. Um, so that means most of the people in that Pistons group chat were, have not been born for five years at that point or six years at that point. <laughs> um, and you know what, honestly glad that they did not use a guitar for the logo for the all-star game. I am sick of, guitars and every you know international or domestic event logo that the, the city of cleveland puts on whether it was the rnc or the all-star game or this all thank you for not using the logo thanks for using terminal tower something different yes we have the rock and roll hall of fame but it's really a music hall of fame uh there is a lot of artists in there that are not rock and roll that are in there anyway so thank you for not using a guitar for the three millionth time And I'll get off my soapbox there. Um, So that will do it for this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Pistons have um, several games left, lots to look forward to, especially with Killian Hayes probably potentially coming back in the near future and joining that team. And uh, we hope that you will continue to join us. Um, This is a fun, interesting young team. And uh, we will continue to cover all of it and uh, continue to continue to provide you uh, the best Pistons content content on the internet. And as always, check out palacepistons.com for all of our written content. We do have quite a bit of um, good content rolling through there from roundtables to trade discussions uh, and whatnot. So please go ahead and uh, check that out. We would really appreciate it. So for Aaron Johnson, my name is Mike Angolano. And once again, uh, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.